The all-new Toyota RAV4 asks, what if? What if your ride was refined and rugged at the same time? Introducing the all-new RAV4 Hybrid. 208 combined horsepower and standard all-wheel drive make it the most powerful RAV4. Plus, with its head-turning style and breakaway speed, it's bound to change the way you think of a hybrid. The all-new RAV4 Hybrid. Toyota. Let's go places. Horsepower. Ratings achieved using the required premium and gasoline with an octane rating of 91 or higher. Premium fuel is not used. Performance will decrease. This is ContactTalkRadio.com. Consciousness in action. And you are taking action into your consciousness by tuning into Contact Talk Radio. And on TuneIn.com, Hing.fm, and Upsnap Mobile. Contact Talk Radio. From burnout and exhaustion to joy and fulfillment. Through the act of serving consciously, it's time to rediscover your passion. It's live with Elizabeth and guests on the Contact Talk Radio Network. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to Serving Consciously. As always, I'm so thrilled that you're able to join us uh, again today. And as you know, if you've been listening for a while, I created what I call the Conscious Service Approach. And on each episode, we always explore some aspect of that. Sometimes we talk about it as a general idea, an energy, um, and we look at it through a number of different lenses. So how conscious service shows up in traditional formats, like traditional healthcare and human services, or alternative um, modalities like energy work or spiritual, um, you know, healing treatments and, and modalities, and also as it relates to people who may be in the role of being a personal caregiver to a loved one or being in service to your loved ones. And so we look at it from a number of different perspectives. If you want to learn more about that, always be sure to go to servingconsciously.com where I have lots of information and resources there for you. Um, today we're going to look at something that's a little bit more on the traditional side and also an area that affects so many of us in the world today. And we're going to look at what conscious service means and how it um, is expressed in mental health. Today, my guest is Linda Stalters. She's a retired advanced practice registered nurse and a C and the CEO of Schizophrenia and Related Disorders Alliance of America, or SARDA, S-A-R-D-A-A. Linda has broad-ranging experience as a clinical practitioner, educator, advocate, organizer, and speaker. She's committed to driving improved patient care through education, patient advocacy, and clinical practice. Hearing Voices of Support is Linda's latest initiative to promote acceptance, support, hope, treatment, and recovery for the millions of people living with schizophrenia and related brain disorders. Welcome, Linda, and thank you so much for being here with us today. Thank you so much to you, Elizabeth, for giving me the opportunity to talk about a very serious um, issue, um, a disease, and uh, what we can do to help people. Yeah, I think we're going to have a really jam-packed hour ahead of us. There's so much to talk about. I'm wondering if we could start just with, uh, you know, if you could share a bit with with me and with the listeners about your journey and how you came to be doing the work that you're doing now. Well, as you said, I'm um, a, a nurse by discipline, and I started a very long time ago. Uh, I started in ICU and CCU, med surge, just the general medical floors, but I was always concerned about the psychic pain that people were uh, experiencing and soon realized that the people who have the most 
um, significant pain actually are the people who live with uh, schizophrenia or other uh, diseases that experience psychosis and their families because they are the most misunderstood and the most underserved people. And they're often ostracized by uh, society. And so I really put my efforts into trying to help that, uh, that population. Um, and I found, I found people to be so vulnerable, sweet, sincere, and kind, altruistic, and wise, contrary to the myths and misunderstanding uh, that people have about people who live with psychosis. Um, of course, people can uh, have really bizarre behaviors because of the symptoms, but fortunately, there's hope, there's treatment, and um, people deserve to have it and to receive treatment and kindness and uh, compassion by other people, but we, we don't do that, um, mm -hmm. and we just perpetuate the same way that we've treated people over the millennia um, that live with these torturous sometimes uh, brain disorders. Absolutely. And, you know, a couple of things that you touched on. First of all, like I could just hear when you were talking about, you know, how you started out and then just as your curiosity and passion and compassion grew in a certain area, how you found for yourself, you know, your own calling from your heart about where you wanted to focus the kind of service that you were providing. And, and that's something that we talk about a lot when we're talking about conscious service and in this in this radio show for sure. And the other thing. And, and I had this as something I wanted to ask you specifically that you've you've touched on already. I noticed that the tagline for SARDA, I'm going to call it SARDA. Sure. Um, it's shattering stigma and destroying discrimination. And you were starting to touch on that already. And stigma and discrimination have been longstanding barriers for people living with mental illness. And I'm just wondering, you know, what's your take currently on the role of stigma in mental health? Like, are we making progress or... Is it getting worse? <laughs> What's happening in your mind? Well, I think that we are progressing there. Um, it depends on what particular illness that we're talking about. People are much more open to talking about depression and bipolar disorder, which is bipolar disorder, especially with uh, psychotic features, is very closely related to schizophrenia. Um, and, and even the pharmaceutical companies, when they, um, advertise, it, it, they advertise for medications that help, uh, with depression and bipolar disorder. But, um, so we're getting a little bit closer. There are more, uh, celebrities that are coming out and acknowledging that they live with uh, certain illnesses, not so much with schizophrenia because it still is very much uh, stigmatized. And the stigma is related to education because mm -hmm. people do not understand what it is, why people have it, and that these are not um, elected thoughts that people are having uh, these are these are genuine physiological diseases. Schizophrenia is never something that someone elects to experience. 
No. Um, and I think too, like you're touching on something I think is so important as well. Um, that that lack of education or our ignorance about anything often generates uh, fear, right? And what we don't right. understand, we get afraid of. And especially, you know, if it's something that um, that has features to it that, that could be particularly alarming or, you know, that we're not sure of what to do. Um, and so I think that's also a really big aspect of, of stigma. And, you know, it's kind of like if we keep it over there, it's not actually happening. I don't have to worry about it ever happening to me you know, and just kind of ignore that it's even present. But I, I agree. I mean, I think that more and more there is discussion, maybe not so much about schizophrenia, like you said, but discussion out there that's opening the lines of communication so we can talk about mental illness, at least in general. Um, but it scares, it scares people, I think. It's a scary well, kind of thing to go through. Exactly. And uh, it's the lack of understanding, the lack of education that, uh, perpetu- perpetuates the uh, discrimination, and it is the discrimination. A person with schizophrenia does not receive the same treatments, care, um, um, concern, uh, rights, and privileges that other people uh, would receive. We Our tagline used to be shattering stigma, realizing recovery, and then we sort of went to the, uh, real, you know, destroying discrimination because that is what really prevents someone from receiving care and treatment. Yeah. And, and experiencing, then, and, yeah. 60% of the people who are homeless, um, live with schizophrenia or mm-hmm. psychosis. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and such a large population of, uh, the incarcerated and we don't incarcerate someone who has another neurological disorder that um, the symptoms realize behaviors that are uh, not what we would desire and that and even sometimes combative someone who lives with Alzheimer's mm-hmm. we don't lock people up in a jail or prison because they assaulted someone due to their irrational thought process inherent in Alzheimer's disease. Exactly. But schizophrenia is a neurological disease, and unless treated, the delusions and hallucinations can lead to aberrant uh, behaviors that no one wants to experience. And, you know, once someone is medicate they receive medication and treatment which is more than medication they and they realize what has happened during their psychotic um episode they are so you know they're traumatized by this and they are the victims as well and i know no one wants to hear that but when something awful happens that is just blown up in the news, the poor person who didn't receive treatment and their families have been begging for treatment and they can't get it, they are all victims. Oh, I, I totally agree. Yeah. Absolutely. When I go to a funeral for someone who has died at you know very young age, maybe 23, 19, 20, um, 26, 29, because of their symptoms 
related to schizophrenia, schizoaffective disorder, bipolar disorder. I cry for not just them, their families, but the whole millions of people who are out there really challenged. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's so true. It, it it almost seems like you know schizophrenia, but also just mental health in general, mental health addictions. It's almost like it's hitting epidemic proportions, and maybe it is because we're noticing it more because we're talking more. But it really feels like that you know that that area, mental health and addictions, are. I would say that it's probably one of our most our number one issue in healthcare and, and human services. Right. Well. Absolutely. Psychiatric disorders are all, are all neurological, including uh, substance abuse um, and, and alcoholism, which is also a substance. It's all because of what's happening in the brain. But the, the most profound and the most costly is schizophrenia. And oftentimes people are what we call dually diagnosed. Mm-hmm. And, and really there are multiple diagnoses that someone who's living with psychosis, they, they might turn to some substances instead of treatment because they can't get it. Um, and then they uh, have another diagnosis of substance abuse or substance append- dependence. Absolutely. And, and so it just snowballs. And then they have other physiological disorders as well. Uh, people in general who have a serious psychiatric and neuropsychiatric disorder die on average 25 years sooner than the general population. Wow. Wow, that's amazing. That's a huge amount of time. Absolutely. And, and you know, we talk about the suffering of the person who's diagnosed, but the families. Yeah. Oh, yeah. my gosh. And I want to get into that, but I wonder if it might be a good idea if, if you could share a little bit. I mean, you, you have been, but give maybe our list, listeners some really specific kinds of um, descriptions that would help people to understand what schizophrenia is. Like how does it, what's going on neurologically and how does it show up? What do people experience? What are some of the treatments that people might access the barriers to that? Right. Okay. So five questions for you. (laughs) Sure. (laughs) So, you know, really quite a bit, you know, I, I, I'm sorry about, um, is inherited. Uh, There's a genetic, predisposition often, maybe we're finding um, brain trauma wherever someone's brain might in development been um, impacted. It could have been in utero, perhaps the mother was exposed to a particular virus or something that impacted the developing brain. It's the developing brain uh, Mm -hmm. that it changes the neurotransmitters within the brain and the the because the synapses aren't there and so there's a neurocircuitry disorder that's happening so the synapses helped the brain neurotransmitters to talk to one another so that the there's not the communication within the brain that is functioning properly so it could be because of the genetic predisposition, 
uh, brain trauma, um, a significant traumatizing experience that changes the developing brain. Mm -hmm. So usually a person will have what's called a prodromal period, uh, and that could be in early adolescence, but I know a lot of people who say that they had experienced some symptoms when they were children, young children, but yeah. they were diagnosed with something else because they couldn't communicate what they were experiencing. So one, one woman uh, explained to me that she felt like it was, it was a, a cloud or a um, shadow that was following her or they do hear voices or they, and then, you know, people think, well, that's just childhood. That's your childhood friend, you know, that we talk about, but it's different and it's scary for them. And, but generally someone in their adolescent period, maybe 16, 18, 19, they might start uh, being more isolated. Uh, their grades might drop and they their cognition might be impaired they may not be able to pay attention as well um they might not be able to follow through on uh directions so they may be some of these things might be due to hearing voices or some other sounds that are distracting and the voice can be one voice it could be multiple voices it could be two people talking above them but oftentimes the it's the voice is kind of talking to the person and describing things that are happening in the third person that they're doing like um you're going to open the door or uh that that food is poisoned or something like that um and sometimes the voices can be actually companions to people uh, they might even say some good things, but often, most often, they're really awful, this, just terrible voices that are telling them awful things about themselves or about other people, um, and and then they can have paranoia so that they suspect things. So students might think that the uh, other students are talking about them or the teachers are plotting against them mm -hmm. or... Uh, they, they, and then they might, um, they might feel things on their body like, uh, uh, sensations. Any sense, any sensory organ, because they're all neurological, right? They right. can have aberrant sensations. Like they might smell things that aren't there. They might taste things differently, very differently. They might have a, a taste in their mouth that really is not um, correlated to what they, they might be eating or they might feel things. They might even see things that aren't there. That's not as frequent as hearing the voices, having yes. delusions, which are, are they, they have, um, a belief system that's not based on reality. And that could be paranoia, like I explained. Um, you know, they could be walking across the street and somebody could be laughing across the street 
um, that people they don't even know, and they think that they're laughing about them. So, of course, if you think that everyone's looking at you and laughing about you or talking about you, you don't want to go out, and you don't want to be seen in public. Um, so you can have – I people sometimes have these grandiose ideas that they might be a deity, um, like Joseph the, or Joseph or Michael the Archangel or, or even Jesus or Muhammad or um, they and so they have these thoughts that they have these special powers or they and it's interesting with the uh, paranoia in the U.S. it's the CIA or the FBI that they're either working with working against or they're after that them um or in, in Russia, it was a KGB or wherever they are, it's whatever, uh, government, um, organization. When I worked at the, um, in DC, uh, sometimes, you know, the CIA or the FBI was on our unit because the, uh, patients would sometimes call the White House and say, I have a special message for you or I have to tell you something or it's, you know, and, yeah. and how horrible it is Ugh. to think that something you might have done, like open the door the wrong way or think the wrong thought, might have caused a tsunami across the world and caused the deaths of so many people. I mean, these are some of the thoughts, um, the delusions that they might have. Um, and, and they don't want to take meds, perhaps, because, well, number one, they might suffer from another neurological disorder called anosognosia, and um, that's where they don't perceive that they are ill, that yes. anything is wrong. I mean, the delusions are absolutely real to them. Mm -hmm. When they hear the voices or other things, they actually hear them. There's the they're hearing that we can see in the pet, in a PET scan that the Brokaw center of the brain where we're hearing things is working just like when we're actually hearing things for a person wow. who is hearing things that aren't there. So, mm -hmm. so it's it's so complex. It's so complex. And it's um, so common, isn't it, too, that that uh, people may take medication. Um, and then perhaps there's some alleviation of symptoms, but then maybe, like you said, they're experiencing other side effects or there's other things going on, and so they want to stop the medication because there's an aspect. I know that that's quite common with people who have bipolar. Yes. Um, because they miss the – because everything becomes sort of neutral and flat, you know? Well, that's that's the case for someone who has bipolar disorder. Mm -hmm. But for someone with schizophrenia, oftentimes um, – if they are paranoid and they, and they have auditory hallucinations that, uh, the, the medication is poisoned yeah. or that, uh, someone is, you know, trying to control them. Um, mm -hmm. that's part of it. Also, if they, if they miss their meds for three days, they are down the rabbit hole. Yeah. And they just slide into the same delusions or worse and, hallucinations and then it takes a long time before they can realize they really do need those medications and um and sometimes you know it is so sad that people become so frustrated with that psychic pain 
and going over and over. And sometimes they take the medications, then they do take their medications and they work for them and then they stop working for them. And then they start having the symptoms again and then they just don't want to go through it another time. Absolutely. And I'm thinking... um like it's such a cycle, you certainly can see how people would would start to want to self medicate yeah. to to try to soften that or to find some way of feeling better. When you mentioned that you know um, it was common for many people experiencing schizophrenia to you know have a much higher mortality rate, die twenty five years sooner than the general population. What are the reasons for that? Is it is it because people um, die by suicide? Is it because of um, behavior that leads them into risky situations. What, what's often happening there? Well, there's uh, several things. Um, and they found that, um, you know, research, they're doing a lot of research. People don't realize there really is a lot of research going on. And they have found that people who even um, who have not taken medications have higher cholesterol okay. to start with. Mm-hmm. Um, because some people say, oh, well, um, it's because of the medications. Well, indeed, medications can cause uh, some metabolic disorders, but uh, even without starting medications, there are changes, and there are changes within the brain before starting medications. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and every psychotic episode causes more uh, degeneration of the brain so it's really important that people take medications and do different things to ease those psychotic episodes. But um, also, people suicide is is one because um, at least forty to sixty percent of the people attempt suicide, and um, many succeed. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, at least ten to twelve percent succeed. Um, but also with with the metabolic disorders that cause uh, cardiovascular disease, weight gain is huge, um, a reduced exercise and activity uh, is part of the disease, and the medications are set, sedating as well. They also find a lot of um, ease in their anxiety with smoking. Mm-hmm. So many, many smoke. Uh, and so therefore all of those risks are involved as well. Okay. Uh, so they get about 15 minutes of relief from the anxiety smoking. And so therefore you see them smoking a lot. And, yeah. and unfortunately, way back when we used to reward people, and we, we just really, we've come a long way, but not terribly long uh, we, we used to reward people for good behavior well it's not a behavioral health issue it's a brain illness it's a brain health issue their behavior isn't you know it's because of the symptoms so you've got to relieve the symptoms before they can relieve their behavior anyway we used to give them cigarettes we'd have course, a cigarette yeah. break every 30 minutes and if you were <laughs> quote unquote good you'd get a cigarette and then you know now we've uh eliminated the cigarette smoking on the units and you know 
the older patients would say, okay, you, you got me started smoking and now you're not going to let me smoke. Totally. Oh my gosh. Uh, we're, you know, just so much. And I love what you said there though, that the, this focus on, you know, the behavior, like rewarding behavior as though somebody's just acting this way. Right. right? And I think that's a huge, point to really highlight because I I mean that's obviously related to stigma and discrimination too yeah. but people yeah. can just stop doing what they're doing I mean people say that about people with addictions all the time too oh and just stop it they're doing it to themselves yeah. but it's not it's that's a lack of understanding about what's actually going on right so exactly that's why we prefer that's why we have the brain campaign we want we want people to stop calling these behavioral yeah health. As a matter of fact, we don't even like the term mental health. It's mm-hmm. a neuro circuit, it's a neuropsychiatric disease, illness, or disorder. Um, because that too, when you say mental, you think, oh, well, that's, you think that that's just an existential way of believing or thinking, but it's your brain. Yeah. And that's absolutely. what's causing the thoughts. And the feelings and the behaviors, you, you know, we don't tell people to stop their, um, their cardiac arrhythmia. Yeah, <laughs> just, exactly. Say, just stop that AFib. Just stop it. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, I, I think that's so very true. And thank you for making that point because I think that maybe that'll be, I, I love, focusing on the power of language and making sure that we're using, we're saying what we actually really mean and being accurate and and correct in the messages that we're sending. And for sure, I think that, you know, I mean, mental health, mental illness, we've used that for so many years now and people have a certain understanding of what that is, which can actually take us away from really understanding what's going on. Beautiful point. Let's take a, sorry, I was just going to finish your thought. I was just going to say, and this is going, um, that's why we also want to reclassify schizophrenia and we can talk about that after your break. Okay. That sounds really good. Okay. Let's take a, a quick break then and we'll be right back and we'll pick up where we left off. You're listening to Serving Consciously. I'm here with my guest, Linda Stalters. I'm Elizabeth Bishop and we'll be right back after this break. part of your life mission to be of service to others? Making a difference in the world is a tall order. You are the resource when it comes to serving humanity. Beyond taking care of yourself, learn to create self-connection in your life. Integrate who you are with what you do find a source of inspiration and energy that surpasses your wildest imagination. Register for the Self-Connection Series at www. 
elizabethbishopconsulting.com. Look under Programs and Services for details. Ready for a little inspiration? How about a moment in time to reflect, reframe, and rejuvenate? Join Elizabeth Bishop for Serving Consciously, a new radio show airing on the second and fourth Friday of every month at noon Pacific. Tune in to learn about the conscious service approach and find out how you can integrate who you are with what you do in service to others. Call in and speak directly with experts in the field and find out how they've discovered the joy of serving consciously. Welcome back, everyone. You're listening to Serving Consciously. I'm your host, Elizabeth Bishop, and today we're talking with Linda Stalters. We've been talking about uh, schizophrenia specifically and also about the different organizations and initiatives that Linda is involved in. And so we've got uh, quite a few more things we want to get into here. But one of the things right before break, um, Linda, that you were mentioning is around the reclassification of schizophrenia. Could you tell us a little bit more about that? Well, as we, we talk about the mental health system and how uh, really it's a barrier to treatment, and uh, there are many, many facets of that, but when someone is going through uh, trying to assess what is uh, happening in their life and trying to get a diagnosis, once they are diagnosed with schizophrenia, well, they go to a clinician and they're all immediately relegated to mental health. And so they don't get the same treatment. They aren't listened to. They don't get the same workup. They, um, and that's also, we talked earlier about earlier, uh, demise. Uh, if, if someone is complaining of something and they're not, they're not heard, uh, about, um, heart condition, breathing, whatever. And the, cl- uh, the clinician says, um, oh, well, if they have schizophrenia and just kind of brush it off. But the, if we feel like if they, this is reclassified as a neurological disease, which it is, and we have evidence of that all kinds of places, and IMH calls all of the psychiatric disorders brain illnesses, which they are, um, and we know that these are neurocircuitry disorders that uh, someone with schizophrenia is uh, experiencing and, and that's leading to their um, symptoms, then it could be under neurology but treated by a neuroclinician, neuropsychiatrist, um, someone who specializes in neuropsychiatry so that they get an over uh, lapping of, of research, mm-hmm. of treatment, mm-hmm. of assessment, so that they have a more comprehensive treatment so that they can really get well. And there is a problem with our, you know, we can't get beds. 
Well, yeah. the reason why um, we can't get beds and people spend days, sometimes weeks, in the emergency room is because of what is called the Institutions for Mental Diseases Exclusion. And after they closed the state hospitals, they said that you could only have 16 paid uh, by federal funds beds within uh, the hospital. Well, if they were neurological beds, then they could circumvent that IMD. Mm-hmm. And um, so there, there are just um, many different areas. And the stigma, I think, would be reduced because it's a neurological disease. And exactly. also, even within the professions, um, psychiatry isn't the highest uh, regarded um specialty, which is ridiculous because <laughs> our brain is the most important organ of our body and and that's where this needs to lie. So yeah. we're we're working to um plan our our strategy and um we're going to uh, go to our Congress and senators um and talk to them and go to the different committees and try to get recoding um, so that people can get treated appropriately. So that that's what that is a big thing that we're doing right now and trying to get other people on board with that. All the all the scientists that I talk to, they go, "Oh my gosh, of course it is." And when I went to an international conference a couple of weeks ago and I talked to somebody in the UK and they said, "Oh, we already we already treat the schizophrenia as a neurological disease and some of the scientists that were coming up to me they were saying and I would talk to them about this and they say well isn't it already classified as a neurological disease no it's not so um so uh we're working on that we we have um a consulting firm that's working with us in DC and um we're gonna we're gonna get this done some people say oh my gosh that's a big huge um goal and I said, but it won't happen if we don't get it started. And I'm starting it. That's beautiful. And you know what? It takes it takes people like you who have that passion and, you know, curiosity and desire, you know, to to push those things and to keep on going with it to make those things happen. Absolutely. Thank you for doing that. Well, you're welcome. It's going to take a lot of work and a lot of money, and we're going to work on it. And we, <laughs> I got got to get more money, but um, we'll, we'll do it. We'll do you it. You will. You will. And you know, as we were talking about earlier, and it sort of, you know, sort of touched on another aspect of something I wanted to explore with you when you were talking about, you know, um, accessing the hospitals and accessing the systems and and all of that. We talked about um, the fact briefly earlier that schizophrenia and other brain related disorders or even other mental illnesses, I'm using quotes in the air, um, are one of those healthcare challenges that, like you said, don't affect just the person, but uh, impact the family and other loved ones around that individual. And there's often a lot of other supports. I mean, like you said, somebody might be homeless who's living with schizophrenia. And so they, there's often different supports that they might be accessing. Um, you know, from a social services or human services perspective as well. So it's one of those areas that really require that strong connection and partnership between formalized supports and informal supports and family members and loved ones. And I wonder um, if you could just speak a bit about that from your experience and, and maybe share with us what what you see as um, 
you know, things that help to strengthen those relationships and um, between the professionals and the loved ones who are supporting someone with mental illness. Well, it's, it's that's interesting. Um, you know, the Helping Families um, and Mental Health Crisis Bill um, was partially included in the 21st Century Cures Bill that passed a few months ago. But the big pieces that Tim Murphy from Pennsylvania had written into that bill originally that did not pass was uh, relaxing the HIPAA laws so that families could talk more openly and the clinicians could talk more openly with the family so that they could actually uh, help their loved one. And mm-hmm. so Tim Murphy is, is reintroducing that. So, um, so being able to communicate. So if, if when, um, a person who is diagnosed is thinking more rationally and the family member can get a release of information signed at the clinician's office, by their loved one who's diagnosed as soon as possible. That is really very important. But people don't realize that you can talk to the clinician and tell them things. Yes. And and it's really important to write it, email it, whatever, so that there is a there's documentation that you told the clinician something. Now, they may not feel like they have, they have the, um, uh, flexibility to respond much, but they can if there is, uh, safety involved. Um, and, but that is something that people need to know. And to get a psychiatric advanced directive written by the person, when mm-hmm. they're feeling uh, capable of doing that to say, well, if I stop taking my meds and I have, a, you know, a relapse, this, this is what I want you to do. Yes. Uh, you know, these are the meds I don't want. These are the meds that help me. I don't like this clinician. <laughs> I do yeah. like this one. I don't like this, this facility. I do like this one. Um, you know, those are, those are things that aren't always followed by whoever it is, but um, the family needs to have that so that they can fall back on that a a bit, just like um, any medical advanced directive. It's really important. Um, You know, the HIPAA law is just so complex and so not helpful for people. Um, If, if someone had Alzheimer's, the clinicians would talk to you. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the thing, just for people who are listening, the HIPAA law, I can't remember the exact, um, what, what it exactly stands for, but you're talking about the freedom of information and privacy act Mm -hmm. that we would call it here in Canada. Um, that, uh, you know, really can create a barrier. And I like those, those are really practical kinds of things that families can put into place because navigating healthcare systems and social support and services systems for someone you love who's facing any kind of a challenge um, medically is a huge process to go through. And if you don't know 
for family members if they if people don't know how to do that or um, who to call or how the system works it you can get lost really really fast and and someone is really uh, very fortunate to have to still have that's why it needs people need to be treated early early on yeah. So to know if there are any risk factors in the, your child's life, were mm-hmm. there people in your family that, you know, were very eccentric or, uh, no, you know, they may not have been diagnosed with schizophrenia or bipolar disorder, but to know that there were some things in, in the family um, and if there were some brain, there was some brain trauma or whatever to watch your child and be aware. And, and I'm sorry to say that even pediatricians aren't aware of what to watch for sometimes. And, yeah. and it can be, uh, often, often people are misdiagnosed or are diagnosed with something different early on. And then the diagnoses change as symptoms appear. But um, I went off on a tangent. I was going to say something else, but the fam. Oh, the families are the de facto caregivers. Yeah. And people who are homeless, they don't have anyone. Mm-hmm. And you, you know, they are absolutely eligible even in the U S and Canada for treatment, but they can't navigate getting to the wherever they need to get to. Absolutely. And, and so that is that is so sad. We, you know, we we spend all this money to get people who are capable of accessing care, but we really need to spend more money on helping people who can't, who aren't capable who Mm -hmm. keep ending up in prison or homeless. They're the ones who need help. We, we treat the people who are the the most um, capable. Yeah. It's certainly an area um, where people fall through the cracks over and over and over and over again. eh? Right. So for families, we, you know, people need their own support system. They mm-hmm. have to be educated. They need a support system. There are several different ways to get support. There, are, there's, um, there are counsel, counseling and educational things online. We have conference calls, uh, for family members every Tuesday night and you can reach that internationally. It's on our website. And, um, and it's just run by and for people who have family members. And, uh, we have support groups for people who live with schizophrenia as well. But, um, you know, NAMI has family to family, uh, educational systems. Um, and it, it's very important for a person to have, uh, respite, uh, to, to understand that it's not their fault. You know, oh, we used God, to yeah. call, we used to call mothers the schizophrenogenic mother. And mm-hmm. even if it's genetic, it's not your fault. Uh, any more than heart disease uh, that is genetic is anybody's fault. Um, those are, but it's, it's a draining situation and you need, Absolutely. you need support. You need counseling. Um, and uh, education. So absolutely. Yeah. So people could, listeners could go to um, Sarda. That's S A R D A A dot org, right? Correct. 
Yes. In order to find some of those support groups you're talking about and links to other resources, there's, I went on there myself and there's just a ton of information there. So I would really encourage listeners who are, um, you know, resonating here with what we're talking about today to go and check that out as a resource. I would also encourage them to look at our, once you get on our website, you can go to our other microsite or you can go directly there to hear some powerful, um, short, uh, very professionally done videos of people that tell just like, you know, for two, three minutes, a little bit about what they experience as someone who's experiencing psychosis or their family members. And, and, and that there's something positive that they yeah. provide, some direction, what is helpful, and then encourage people to provide a, a voice of support yourself to share those because that's how we educate people that, that it isn't all these terrible things that we hear, although that happens if people aren't treated, but people have hope. Yes. People can lead a meaningful, purposeful life. I know people who have PhDs, MDs, CPAs, social workers, nurses, you name it. They are living with schizophrenia or, or schizoaffective disorder or bipolar disorder, and they are professionals and per, having a, a beautiful, meaningful life. And contributing and all of that. So would that, is that hearing voices of support that you were just talking about? Yes. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah, because I was looking at that too. And, and just, yeah, nice short little videos of, of people telling the personal story. And I mean, that, is often some of the most powerful ways I think that we can learn is to just actually listen to people who are living um, an experience. And that really helps us to start to understand what might actually be going on for people and how we can support that process. Absolutely. Um, so, sorry, go ahead. Linda. No, no, you go ahead. I wanted to ask you in light, I mean, I know that you're very actively involved there with the SARDA and with the hearing voices of support. What other, and all the other things that we talked about here that you're, you're doing with reclassification and everything else. Is there any other initiatives or things like that that are happening that you want to share with the listeners before we wrap up today? Well, so since you're in Canada, uh, but you probably, I know you have U.S. citizens. Um, I know that Tim Murphy is reintroducing some of the pieces of the helping families, um, in mental health crisis bill to help with the HIPAA and some other initiatives. And of course, um, just contacting your your Congress, your legislators, your parliament, your local communities um, to find out what is going on, educate the people. You know, if you go and you speak publicly, you can show our videos from HVOS, Hearing Voices of Support, and just enlighten people and to let them know what are some of the symptoms, uh, what are some of the risks, Talk to the clinicians and, and pediatricians and, you know, make sure that they know what's going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's, um, it's, it's such a, um, also one of the things that, uh, NIMH, um, National Institute of Men- Mental Health and, so, and some other organizations, research organizations, are um, in in need of, and this is a touchy topic, but 
uh, brain tissue. So when someone uh, dies, uh, if their brain can be um, donated for uh, research, mm-hmm. it, it, it not only helps people with schizophrenia, but other neurological disorders. And people don't realize that, um, you know, MS, Alzheimer's, you know, they're all kind of related. They're all within the neurological system. And when we find something out about one thing that we're researching, if they, they're trying to collaborate all their research on the central nervous system so that it can help with other diseases. So, um, you know, if yeah, you and the, sign the brain, that, for sure, sign the donor card. The brain. And if you don't, if you say you're, you're going to donate, you have to be specific about your brain. Yes. People yeah. don't know that. So tell people what they need to do. Well, you just need to, um, if you go to NIMH and, mm-hmm. uh, you can, you, you can go on there and we, we put out a newsletter as well. If you go on our, um, our website and uh, opt in for the newsletter. It's electronic, and we always put up there what NIMH is searching for, and they can tell you how you can opt in to donate a brain. Okay, brain tissue. That's, that's wonderful. That's I mean because the brain is such a complex and mysterious. Yeah part of our um, existence and uh, you know the more that we can understand about that and like you're saying treat these different kinds of disorders that people experience I mean the the better off we'll all be for that right and and like I keep saying you know early early intervention is important Mm -hmm. and it isn't just medication it's you know, cognitive therapy, there are different kinds of therapies now. There's stimu- brain stimulation that is helpful um, and supportive therapy, coaching with work or education and having the, uh, the person, uh, the young person decide what they want to do and not, not, you know, you don't have to say, oh, well, we're treating your schizophrenia, but helping you with what you're experiencing. We're going to help you cope with what you're challenged with. Yes. Um, and, and the family should not just keep pounding in while you've got schizophrenia, you know, or, um, you're, you're, and it's important that you don't try to talk someone out of a delusion and, or yeah, there's a lot, right? A lot of support that families and loved ones and, uh, you know, and individuals themselves can gain from, um, you know, being involved in these different services that you're providing and resources that are out there in order to know how to live with this. Right. You know, and have some quality of life and be able to manage for everybody that's involved in and in, in impacted by, right. by the situation. So I think that's huge information to share with our listeners. So again, and just for, for everyone to remember, I will be posting all of Linda's contact information. So these websites that we're talking about as well, you can find Linda on Facebook, um, at the, at hearing voices of support when you go there and on Instagram the same way. And you're also on Twitter, right? At, Correct. at S A R D A A underscore org. Right. So again, Sarda is S-A-R-D-A-A dot org, the website, and hearingvoicesofsupport.org, which are linked together. I really encourage people to go there and look at all of the information and beautiful resources and opportunities to share and support 
um, each other and to access support at those sites. Linda, did you want to share anything else as we're wrapping up here? Well, I just want to thank you so much, Elizabeth. Um, brain disorders are still, I mean, we're moving ahead with research, but the brain is the most complex organ of our body. And, you know, HIV was so discriminated against, you know, many years ago, but now we talk about it. People have long lives, people who sometimes live a full length of life um, because of research, because of eliminating that stigma and discrimination. We can do the same thing regarding psychosis and schizophrenia. We just need to do that. We do. So let's keep the conversation going. Let's keep it open and, um, and access what we need. And Linda, I want to thank you not only for being here today and sharing all of this information with us, but for all of the work that you're doing and the, the passion and energy that I can hear in your voice for the service that you're offering in the world is, is huge. And I want to thank you for that and, and, um, and just contributing to making things better for people who are living with these disorders and for their family members. Thank you so, so much for being here today with us, Linda. You're very welcome and thank you. And I want to thank everybody for tuning in and joining us. And again, remember, you can go to servingconsciously.com. That's my website. I'll have the link to the replay when it's ready, as well as all of Linda's information there for you to access. And thank you so much for tuning in and and being here with us again today. And we will see you next time. You've been listening to Serving Consciously. I'm your host, Elizabeth Bishop. Have a beautiful weekend. You've been listening to Serving Consciously with your host, Elizabeth Bishop. Consciously create your approach to work. Visit www.elizabethbishopconsulting.com. Join us on every second and fourth Friday at noon to continue rediscovering your passion. Springtime tips and fun facts from Paul, Kristen, and Dexter at Total Wine & More. Garnishing your ham with pineapple? Pair it with a delicious Chardonnay to make their taste buds swirl. Deviled eggs are even better when paired with a light, dry wine like a bubbly Prosecco or a Pinot Grigio. For me, nothing beats recommending a great wine. And with such an extensive selection, I can help you find the perfect one in your budget. Whether you're hosting or just bringing the wine, we love to share our always low prices and ridiculous selection this spring at Total Wine & More. Cheers! Springtime tips and fun facts from Paul, Kristen, and Dexter at Total Wine & More. Garnishing your ham with pineapple? Pair it with a delicious Chardonnay to make their taste buds swirl. Deviled eggs are even better when paired with a light, dry wine like a bubbly Prosecco or a Pinot Grigio. For me, nothing beats recommending a great wine. And with such an extensive selection, I can help you find the perfect one in your budget. Whether you're hosting or just bringing the wine, we love to share our always low prices and ridiculous selection this spring at Total Wine & More. Cheers!